we are on the brink of a mental health crisis. And this is why I am so appreciative of the folks over at BetterHelp. They provide the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, and affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. Sign up today. Go to BetterHelp.com and use the promo code Solving Healthcare and get 10% off sign-up fees. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Quarkast Nation, my goodness, we got Neil Pasricia on the show, man. I don't know if you guys know how balling this is. He is a New York Times bestseller, TEDx speaker, entrepreneur, podcaster, public speaker. Right now, his latest book, Our Book Awesome, is out. It's on my nightstand in full effect. I am so excited to bring this episode to you folks because Neil encompasses the changes we need to make, the mindset changes to be happier, to live a more fulfilling life, especially in a time where we're struggling. A lot of people are struggling. Healthcare providers are looking for that sense of purpose. And this episode was so much fun. We talked about how to start your day, how to end your day, how to how to be intentional and, and be purposeful throughout your day. And all these little things, I think they just add up into living a more fulfilling life. It also talks a lot about not taking anything for granted, which I think is so important in terms of living a more fulfilled life. Talk about gratitude, all these things that we just need to appreciate. And at the end of this episode, you will feel hope. You will feel that there is light at the end of this tunnel. Because I won't lie to you, man, this episode was straight up gangster. Before jumping into it, make sure to jump on our quadcast.substack.com. Essentially, it is all things quadcast. We got videos, blogs, all our podcasts on one platform, one-stop shop, essentially, for healthcare solutions. So jump on quadcast.substack.com. That's where we'd be changing the bookie. All right, without any further ado, Neil Pasricia. Quarkass Nation, check this. 
We got Neil Pasquish on the show, yo. Now, this, now you know the show's big time. Now you know the show is big time. We got like best-selling author. I think you were, don't don't get me wrong, but like two hundred weeks or something like that on a New York uh, bestseller list. We got Ted X speaker. We got podcaster, multiple author, speaker, and just an awesome down-to-earth cat who's Canadian. And so, Neil, welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, thank you so much, Kajo, for having me on. I, I really, really appreciate it. I love the work you're doing, and, and it's a thrill to finally connect. Oh, man. this is Thank you for that. But this has been a long time coming. And the reason, Neil, I wanted to get you on the show is because you are creating the change that so many of our youth, so many of our healthcare providers need right now. How do we get well? How do we find fulfillment how do we get happy again how do we get awesome again and uh, honestly i think the the best place to start is just your story like what this is this is not a typical story in terms of someone that ends up on a bestseller list but no how did how did we get here well like as you say it's not typical my parents are indian immigrants my mom is from nairobi kenya my dad is from amritsar india they had an arranged marriage in england they came to canada in the 1960s i was born in a suburb of toronto called oshawa ontario which i'm sure some of your listeners know and many of your listeners probably don't but for those that don't know this is like a gm blue collar kind of town and i was born there in 79 my mom worked as an accountant at General Motors, my dad was a high school physics teacher, the very first one in, in the in the region. And, you know, I didn't come up into the world of art being a thing that you could even do, you know, at all. Um, and for me, it was about getting good grades in math, <laughs> getting, well, how's the chemistry marks? You know, what'd you get and at 92 on the paper? What happened? What, what, tell me about the eight questions you got wrong. You know, so my whole life philosophy was oriented towards, you know, academic achievement. And for me, the wheels didn't fall off until my late twenties. I'm happily married. I'm living in Mississauga, Ontario. I've got a steady job. I'm now working as a manager of leadership development at Walmart Canada. I got the job. I've got the. I'm, I got married. I got a house. I've got. Uh, I've got, we're potentially going to have kids. Everything's going according to plan. And then in the span of a couple of days, the wheels fell off. Two things happened. Number one, my wife told me. She doesn't want to be married anymore. She's she's like I've fallen in love with somebody else. I I don't know how to tell you this. I don't I don't I really don't want to break your heart, but like this isn't working for me. We've been together for years. We've been married for two. We just bought this house. We're talking about having kids and it was like you know, I'd say it was shock, but it was it was before that. It was like I I couldn't even comprehend what she was saying. Like I I was like kind of miffed you know i was like what are you talking what are you talking about but at the same time i didn't have time to even start to process that shock because three days later my very best friend chris sadly took his own life and we need to talk about suicide more you you guys are on the front lines your healthcare professionals you know that the suicide numbers are off the charts 18 per 100,000 murder rates are six per 100,000 meaning we are three times more dangerous to ourselves than anybody else is to us Mm. I lost my best friend. I lost my wife. I lost my house. You got to sell. You got to sell. They can't live in the same house if you're not. So we sell the house. I'm like losing every, I lose weight. I even lose 40 pounds due to stress. Everybody Mm. at work at Walmart was like, you look great. What's your secret? (laughs) What are you eating? You know, we, we have this preoccupation in our society. You and I could probably go deep on this topic where like we take anyone losing weight as like some sort of proxy for wellness, you know? 
which is totally unhealthy. But we have this preoccupation. So I'm like trying to answer questions about how I, why I look so good, even though I'm just literally not eating, not sleeping. You know, that's the recipe, which I don't recommend. And in the throes of this like overwhelm and anxious, depressive place, I decided one night to start a blog. Why? Well, I had written when I was a kid. I was the, you know, elementary school newspaper editor, the high school newspaper editor. I even went to Queens University and, and helped edit the newspaper there called Golden Words, which is a weekly comedy newspaper there. But for years after I graduated, I wasn't doing anything like that. So I was like, writing was a place for me and I looked for it again. I started a blog called 1000awesomethings.com with the goal of writing one awesome thing for every day for a thousand days what's an awesome thing i don't know i didn't even know i just said i like i picked the blog title in like 10 seconds i don't know i wrote my first post was called brocco flower the strange mutant hybrid child of nature's <laughs> ugliest vegetables no one liked that post including <laughs> me you know I, I, no one liked that thing i was just like put something up there and that's a lesson by the way just start just do something the Go next fast. day number 999 the last crummy triangle of potato chips in the corner of the bag and i talk about cutting the bag open pouring into your mouth licking your finger and sticking it in again nobody liked it nobody read it number 998 the next day getting grass stains running around getting grass again nobody eventually my mom was very very nice one day i'll tell you she sent it to my dad and my traffic doubled <laughs> it was unbelievable i got like two hits and then one day Damn. i started to get 10 and then i got a comment from someone i never heard of and then i started getting 50 hits and then 100 hits and then a thousand hits. and i'm not kidding you it started hitting the front page of websites like fark and dig and reddit and i know we're about the same vintage so you might remember these kind of like you know original kind of pre-social media websites that were sort of building up link sharing as a thing, right? I know Reddit's still around, but dig.com and fark.com were also huge back then. So I wrote a post number 980. Keep in mind, this is 20 days after I started the thing. And it was called Old Dangerous Playground Equipment. And I waxed prophetic about burning your legs and hot slides, falling into cigarette butts and milk thistles, getting a cast on your arm, and having everybody sign it. It was like a I was like saying, remember how good it was? And that post got 50,000 hits in one day. Wow. And for me, as somebody who was getting 50 hits a day, I was like, what's going on? And then the, the people didn't leave. The 5,000 stuck around and then 10,000 stuck around and then 50,000 stuck around. And like I said, I started getting a mil millions of hits. 1 million, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million, 10 million. I get a phone call and the voice at the other end of the line tells me, this is like nine months after I started the blog now, the voice says, you just won the best blog in the world award, which no one's heard of that before. It doesn't even sound like a real award. It sounds <laughs> like saying you won the best TikToker award. Like, was that even a thing? Is that even who's making this up? Right. Turns out there's an International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences. They fly me down to New York City. I parade on stage. I accept an award for best blog in the world. Sounds like nothing, but I get home to Toronto. Now I'm living downtown. I'm in by myself for the first time in a big city for the first time in a bachelor apartment for the first time. Lots of firsts here. And I'm still like distraught, depressed. I'm not dating. I'm not leaving my apartment. I'm just like hunched over my keyboard writing blogs at night, eating takeout. Um, but, you know, I didn't even have salt and pepper shaker. I remember when I had somebody over and they were like, where's your salt and pepper shaker? I was like, I don't even have the salt and pepper. When you get takeout, they give you little packets of salt and pepper. So you didn't even, I didn't even have bowls. I didn't even have <laughs> oven trays. I didn't even have like, I had like one fork, you know, I was like living like, like a, like a, like a, so shell, like a cave dweller. 
And then this blog, you know, won this award. And then they turned that all these people came out of the woodwork to turn it into a book. Well, that book was probably how you know me in the first place came out in 2010. It's called The Book of Awesome. And no one thought this thing would be a hit. They printed 6,000 copies, but uh, a a kind and lovely woman named Heather Raisman, who is the CEO and founder of Indigo Bookstore, decided to make it a Heather's pick. She started a propulsive, momentum-swinging change that I'm still feeling 12 years later the repercussions of. The book ended up selling millions of copies. It became a number one bestseller for, like, years. It wasn't even weeks. It was like... It was the number one book in Canada for 2010, 2011, like it kept going and all these sequels and spinoffs started. And then I'll tell you what happened is I realized a few years later, I'm like the book of even more awesome, the book of holiday awesome, the journal of awesome, the calendar of awesome. I was like, this is starting to feel like Krusty the Clown imitation gruel. You know, the Simpsons joke, like nine out of 10 orphans can't tell the difference. So I thought, and by the way, Heads up, I'm still working the job at Walmart. Despite all the, I'm like, this isn't going to last. Like East Indian immigrant parents, you can't even quit your job to go write calendars about farting in elevators. That's not going to work. <laughs> Crop so I'm like, this is like a 15 second of fame. It's a, okay, it's a 15 minute of fame. Oh, okay, it's an hour of fame. And well, I've actually, after, after, after eight years, eight years, Eight years from starting my blog to the day I finally quit Walmart. Eight years later, I wrote five books in the middle. I finally quit that job, and I realized I got to figure myself out. I start dating. I start meeting people. I fall in love with a wonderful woman in downtown Toronto. Her name is Leslie. She's a teacher in the Toronto District School Board. We fall in love. A year later, we move in together. A year later, I get down on one knee. I ask her to marry me. Well, you know what happens after that? She plans the wedding, so I plan the I plan the honeymoon we end up going to southeast asia but on the flight home from that honeymoon guess what she tells me i'm pregnant she bought the pregnancy test in the six-hour layover in the kuala lumpur airport she did the pregnancy test thirty thousand feet above sea level in the tiny airplane bathroom in the front of the airplane so now i got a new thing to think about and i'll tell you what happened is for me my wife the muse and my my ideas and i had this early success so i didn't i I stopped chasing it theoretically i stopped chasing it and then i spent the last five years of my life writing about things that interest me the books didn't sell as well but i think they're better i wrote the happiness equation about finding happiness i wrote you are awesome about about how to develop the muscle of resilience and now i'm working on a book all about trust so i'm chewing on these big, gigantic themes. Why? Because I'm writing the books I want to read. I'm trying to figure out how to live this one tiny, short, finite life that we all have of 30,000 days on this planet. Beam, boom, that's the end. That's all you get. 115 billion people have lived on this earth. If you're listening to this right now, you're one of 8 billion people alive today. You already won the lottery. 14 out of every 15 people will never see another sunset, have a bowl of ice cream, or kiss their kids goodnight. So there's one out of 15 lottery you won. If you're in Canada, Canada like you and I are, quad. You know, that's another lottery, right? Because there's mm. 35 million of us in this country and there's 8 billion in the world. That's another lottery. That's a 1 in 200 lottery. We're at the top of the happiness rankings. We trust our neighbors more. We have better, we have clean water out of our taps. We can marry who we want. We can live where we please. These freedoms are not common around the world, let's say. So we've won this other lottery. And I'll tell you, if you make more than $6,000 a year, you make more than the world average income. If you make more than $50,000 a year, you make more than 99.9% of people around the world. If you have a post-secondary education of any kind, any size, shape, color, whatever, of any kind, well, guess what? 94% of people in the world do not have that. 
Mm-hmm. You're in the 6% of people that do. And I could go on and on and on and on. I think of my life as having won the lottery. I think all of us need to feel that way. I think news media and social media punish us and tease our brains and cajole us into thinking the opposite is happening. And I know I'm not on the front lines of healthcare like you are. And you can slap me silly right after I go on this, finish this rant. You can tell me I'm all wrong about this, but here's what I'll say. <laughs> We got 30,000 days. That's it. Boom. We're done. So how can we spend our lives as best we possibly can living the deepest, richest, most intentional lives possible? I've dedicated now 10 books and journals to exploring this topic. Neil, my friend, number one, rant of the century, throwing that down. Thank you for that. But um, I got to say one thing that that really resonates with me, and I think, I truly believe there's a reason why I feel kinship to you is that appreciation that we are not here forever. Like I see this every day, my friend, like in the ICU, palliative care doc. So I see patients in their last days and it is hard in this day and age to appreciate how lucky we are, but we truly are blessed. And the, the ability for you to, bring it out in others to say, Hey, this is where the beauty is. This is where awesomeness is. This is where happiness is, is exactly as truly a blessing. It really is. And dead people are quiet. They don't say much. Dead people are quiet. We can't hear the, we can't hear the 110 billion voices of people that aren't here. But if you could ask them one question, what would you want? What would you want? I know that most of them would say just one more day. Give me another couple of days. And, and, but also like, yeah, give me a day, but also doing stuff that mean that's meaningful, the stuff that they Absolutely. want to do. Cause if you think about it, you know, like how, what percentage of effort do we put into not, not improve our over, like our overall well being to, to please others, to, to do things that we're supposed to do. Like you, I mean, you got to, yeah, Indian parents. I, I, I got West African parents, man. Like they're the same, same flow. You know what I mean? Same flow. But I got two sisters that are dentists. Like you had to go into medicine, son, or something along those lines. Luckily, I'm still a failure. <laughs> no way, man. I actually, the other point I was going to make is, which I, I think is, is, is critical for a lot of folks. You, you leaned into that creative side when you were struggling. That story yeah. about going through the loss of your, your best mate, which I'm sorry that happened, but, and also having your wife leave, you le- leaned into that creative side. And there's something, there's something healing about that. I don't know if you, you found that in the moment or could reflect on that, or you just automatically yeah. did that, but th- there's something healing about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a few things here. Number one is I want to talk to you about regrets. You may, you probably have heard of Nurse Bronnie Ware, who wrote that she, you know, she was with over a thousand people as they died. And she wrote a very famous book called The Five Greatest Regrets of the Dying. I cite it in my book, The Happiness Equation, but the number one overall regret of people dying, according to this nurse who's been with thousands of people as they've died is I wish a life, I wish I lived my life true to myself. Mm. not the life others wanted me to live. 
That's the number one regret. So if you're listening to this right now, it's like that's the top regret people have when they're dying. I wish I lived a life more true to myself. So if you're listening to this, you know, what is it? What's what? Who is that person you want to be with? What's that city you want to live in? What's that job you want to try? What's that small business you want to start? What's that? What's that person you want to tell them you love them? What's that? What's that food you want to eat? What's that place you want to like? Just do it. Like you got you don't have much time. So. It's not like you can plan this whole bucket list concept. I don't like that. I don't like the bucket list. I'm against the bucket list. I'm against this idea of a future later forever thing that you're going to like, come on. That is that's capitalism. That's what it wants us to do to delay gratification, to move things forward. I'll tell you, you will be the greatest version of yourself if you are purpose-led today and purpose-led i mean icky guy that's what i'm talking about when i say purpose people might say stop me right now say icky guy what are you talking about neil i'll tell you this the longest living people in the entire world those from okinawa japan studied by national geographic researchers led by dan butner who lived to over healthy lifestyles over the age of 100 higher than anyone else in in around the whole planet they don't have a word for retirement. They don't have a word for quitting stuff completely. Instead, they have a word, word called ikigai that's spelled I-K-I-G-A-I. I'm going to write it down on a Let's piece of paper. Let's see it. Ikigai. Let's, see it. Let's see it. Let's do this. Yes, it's I-K-I-G-A-I. It roughly translates as the reason you get out of bed in the morning. And so what I say to people, the conversations I have with people are, what's your icky guy? What's the reason you get out of bed in the morning? If you can't answer that, that's good. Because now we get to have a conversation. Now we get to have a conversation about what is your icky guy? I gave a great present to my wife, Leslie, before we were married. I'm going to give here. Anyone listening to this that needs a good Christmas present, here's a good tip. On Christmas morning, I had her watch a video called How to Live to 100 on uh, on TED Talks by Dan Buettner, who I mentioned earlier, the National Geographic researcher. And in that video, he gives all these examples of things he's learned from studying blue zones. Like, you know, people in Sardinia, Italy only drink can of no wine, right? It's better for your heart. And one of them is they eat off small plates, not large dinner plates. And another one is they all have an icky guy. Well, it's the cheapest present because really what I'm buying my wife is a, a bottle of wine, a small plate, and these little plus, these little cue cards just like this. I got each of us one. I folded them into tents, and I said, okay, let's spend some time on Christmas morning writing down what we think our icky guy is. So I wrote down helping people live happy lives. My wife wrote down, she wasn't my wife at the time, she wrote down building community empathy, okay, as an inner city school teacher and as somebody who who does, you know, kind of community groups and stuff. And so it's great because what you do is you leave these little icky guy cards on your bedside table and that should be the first thing you wake up and see in the morning, not your cell phone. It should be your icky guy card. It just gives you a little bit of a northern star, an orientation. Why are we talking about this? Because we're talking about purpose-led lives. Why are we talking about that? Because purpose-led lives are one of the ingredients to living an intentional life. Why are we talking about that? Because life is tiny, short, and finite, and beautiful, and it's always, always, always fleeting. So come up, conjure up an icky guy card that you can leave at your bedside table that you look at when you first wake up and by the way i'll tell you you can change it you know mm-hmm. uh, your icky guy for a while could be like i really want to make it through this week it could mm-hmm. be for a while like taking care of my mom in her last days it could be um you know showing up for my my child uh uh you know, this summer, the way I didn't last summer, because I was working all the time. And so you can see I, now in a podcast, I'm starting to process my own issues. You see, so, <laughs> I so, bring that out on people. so 
But that's what I'm saying. It's just you write it down, then it's you giving yourself a purpose-led day right when you open your eyes. Get the phones out of the bedroom, I'm telling you. Like, for real, the phones need to get out of the bedroom. But the point about being more intentional is is something I think people could take away, like, almost like the number one thing to take away as far as I'm, I'm concerned. Having that icky guy, because even I think about my healthcare professionals, yeah. When they, with the amount of burnout, what was it that got you yeah. to that job? What what made you want to be that nurse? What made you want to be that? I know. Doctor? Well, I just watched your video. I watched that video you just posted a few days ago. It was great. Yeah. No, thank you. Because it's real. Because I see it every day about you know our, our colleagues thinking about leaving the profession and how much in a time right now we need them the most. But it is that it, it being more intentional. So let me ask you this: How do people? Become more intentional. Yes, you can write that icky guy on that card, but is it a matter of looking at that on a regular basis? Is it is it about journaling yeah. about your icky guy? Like, how do we create that for more people? Okay, so first thing I want to say at a high level is watch your inputs. Watch your inputs. If you're listening to this conversation right now, you're already doing it. You're choosing your inputs. Remember, we live in a capitalistic society. The orientation of capitalism is to constantly feed us advertisements to cajole and convince our behavior to change, to buy more stuff. That's the purpose of all news media. That's the purpose of all social media. I'm telling you, all news media, all social media, the whole point is to keep us addicted so that we buy more stuff. Remember that that's the world we live in. And now within that, you can decide, hmm, don't want to sleep with my phone next to my bed. Or is it just going to show me like Apple News, an ad on the weather? How many times have you woken up at 530 in the morning just to see if it's going to snow and all of a sudden something's blaring telling you to buy Tide? I mean, come on, get that crap out of the bedroom. Instead, inputs people start your day with something i call the two minute morning practice i even turned it into a journal there it is my best-selling book of all time there's nothing in it seriously it's just three points every single day i start my day with it every single day i want to post it up here if you're watching on the video if you're not i'll say it out loud number one i will let go of number two i am grateful for number three i will focus on i'll tell you quad everybody's awake for a thousand minutes a day i didn't make that number up it's an average Average people, average time you're awake per day is a thousand minutes. You got a thousand minutes today. You got a thousand minutes tomorrow. You got a thousand minutes the day after. By the way, you only got a thousand months total. Surprise. That's the that's the length of a life. Thousand months, thirty thousand days. So how do you start your day on the right foot? You take two minutes to write down, I will let go of. You know, there's a reason why Catholics go to the Catholic confession chamber. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. But did you know it's not just Catholicism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Judaism, Islam. Did you know almost every world religion has a form of confession or repentance in the in the religious practice? I'm saying religions all around the world for thousands of years all have the same idea that you should got to get stuff out of you. Meanwhile, the fastest growing religion in the world right now by far is none. According to National Geographic, the fastest growing religion in the world is none. Don't got one. No religion. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, people. I myself do not ascribe to a particular faith, but I'm studying what we've learned for thousands of years and realizing this is important. You can look at Science Magazine, too. There's been wonderful reports published that shows if you can write down something you're stressed about, you take it off your brain. You take it off your mind. I will let go of yelling at my kids to tie his shoes last night. I will let go of the fact that I haven't seen the bottom of my kitchen sink in two years because there's always dirty dishes in it. I will let go of burning my kids' brains on Paw Patrol. 
I will let go of the nasty thing I said to my sister. Oh my gosh, I wish I didn't say that. But you're thinking of these things subconsciously. So you got to process one. I'm telling you, the first way you start your day is I will let go of. You are wiping a wet chamois across the blackboard of your mind. Mm. Then... I am grateful for research from Emmons and McCullough shows. If we write down five gratitudes a week, we're not just happier. We're physically healthier. Don't buy an ab. Don't buy a stomach shaker off the late night shopping channel. Just write down gratitudes. Here's the problem. Nobody knows how to do this. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Oh yeah. Oprah told me this in 1988. Well, Everyone, if you look at anyone's gratitude journal, first of all, they got one page filled out. The rest is empty. I'm speaking from experience here. And then what they write on the gratitude list is, oh, yeah, my husband, my kid, my dog. That ain't going to do it. I'm telling you, you're actually trying to get area 17 in your visual cortex to light up again. That's an area in your brain that relights up when you experience something again. But your brain doesn't know where it is. So all the insight is you got to be specific. Don't write down my husband. Say, when my husband, Neil, put the toilet seat down. Don't say my kid. Say, when my five-year-old daughter, Sonia, learned how to write the letter S. Don't say my dog. Say, when the rescue puppy we got in the pandemic stopped peeing on the pillows. All I'm doing is taking an extra minute to come up with the detail required to actually conjure up an image that actually happened over the last 24 hours of my life. Remember, the research says you only need five. By the way, those researchers compare gratitude writers to people that wrote down hassles and people that wrote down events. So the study is done. It's legit. It works. You got to write down five a week. You're priming your brain for positivity. Why is this important? You know this. The neural pathways in your brain are oriented for negativity. You got an amygdala in there. It secretes fight or flight hormones all day. It's why we all rubberneck. It's why we always look for the high cholesterol in the blood test. Why we all look for the math question we got wrong. Our brains are oriented to look for problems for 3 million years of evolution. That's been awesome. But we don't need it today. You can press a button on your phone and get a meal on your doorstep in 20 minutes. We got it good. So what we need to do is remember how good we got it. I am grateful for And the last point on my list, and I'll shut up after this, is I will focus on decision fatigue is leading to a nation of overwhelmed people. I will focus on is a one-item checklist that you do every day. I will focus on spending 10 minutes with my baby. I will spo- I will focus on taking my car in for that oil change. The light's been on for three months. I will focus on finally calling the dentist, finally donating blood. I'm going from here to donate blood because I've been saying I will focus on this for a year. I haven't done it, so I wrote it down. I will focus on making an appointment to donate blood. Guess what? They had an appointment available today. They need blood. I'm going to go do it. Finally, I get to cross it off my list tomorrow morning. Together, these three prompts provide a two-minute morning practice, a cell phone-free way to wake up and control your inputs. You start your day off happy, your day is happier. Mm. What happens if you're happier? 31% more productive, 37% higher sales, 300% more creative. Everything gets better. What I like about this, you're, just, you're priming yourself. You're priming yourself for a quality, successful, joyous day. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's true. It, it really is true when you think about how much inputs you're getting throughout the day. Like our brains aren't meant to be stimulated this much, you know, no. like, like my kids are never bored. Our three lads. That's a problem. You know what I mean? Like it, it is a problem. So what are we, what are we, what are we going to do to, to really allow them to, create the space or all of us collectively create the space. And this is why I really, I, I like this, uh, this way of, of approaching the day. And this might, this question might come out of left, left field for you, but is it working for you? Are you happy? Are you, are you yeah. achieving your, your, your goals of being 
awesome, joyful, yeah. intentional. So, so, so two things. I'm much, much, much happier than I was. So absolutely. But two, there's no such thing as perfectly happy. Happiness is a North Star. It is a journey, not a destination. The goal is not to be perfectly happier. It's happy. It's just to be a little better than before. Every tool, every resource, every every tip I provide is meant to help someone take a step towards that North Star. Am I ever going to be perfectly happy? No. Is anybody? No. The point is I am in a in a positive frame of mind. I am showing up as a better husband, as a better parent, as a better son, as a better brother than I was even just two, three years ago. Why? Because I've implemented a set of systems that get, don't get me wrong. Do I fall off the rails all the time? Absolutely. But I don't beat myself up. I just get back on it. That's it. That's all I do. I just get back on it. And that the two minute morning practice is one of my core systems. It's one of my crucial systems. I have, I have a litany more. We could talk about, you want to go through the day? We can go through the day. Yeah. Basically, let's do do it. Let's do it. And by the way, on the boredom thing, I want to just echo that. I love when my kids say I'm bored. I say, great. What are you going to do? And I limit screen time. Okay. So I am one of these parents that limit screen time. What I do is we limit it to Sunday. Sunday is binge like, cause daddy also wants to watch football. See? So you see, it's like, we come up with, I mean, I got to go with the bills just cause I live closest to them in Toronto, but really I'm, I'm more of, I I got into it through fantasy football with my old college friends from 20 years ago. So really I got in through fantasy football. Yeah. Changes everything. Yeah. So basically for me though, I like when my kids are bored and how do you make your kids bored? You get, you, you get them outside. Kids these days are spending 7% of their childhoods outside. 7% is the lowest level in recorded history. If you multiply 7% a day times seven days a week, it adds up to 49%, seven times seven. Well, that means it takes a kid these days a whole week to spend half a day outside. This is the lowest level in history. There is so many ways the brain works that we don't understand. But one thing we know is you can't learn it playing pinball. Okay. So you got to get outside, break sticks, play with bugs, stare at the clouds, build things, let things fall, fall yourself. Like it's just all that shrapnel, that scaffolding, that, that, that sort of like building up of yourself happens when you have less structure around you. So I'm, I'm all in favor of that. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I'm great. It just means it's, it's another North star for me. Okay. Mm. Now, um, on the topic of daily routines, I gave you one to start the, the morning with, let me go all the way to the end of the night. First off people listening, you might have a, maybe you have a partner, maybe you're married, maybe you're not, maybe you have a kid, maybe you don't, but is there someone in your life that you could close off the day with? Here's how you close it off. First off, you got to turn your phone off an hour before bedtime. And when I say turn your phone off, I'll tell you this. People don't know how to do it. In fact, the new iPhone, when you buy it, doesn't even the screen doesn't even dim anymore. So you know how you turn your phone off? Listen to this. Don't ask Siri, by the way. Siri has no idea. Hey, Siri, how to turn your phone off? I do not know yet. She knows everything, right? She doesn't know how to turn herself off. So what you have to do, just for people listening, I'm going to do a little education here. PSA, you got to hold both buttons on the side of your phone at the same time for longer than three seconds, but shorter than five. If you hold it longer than three, a sliding thing comes up that you can slide to the to the right. If you hold it longer than five, it your phone calls 911. So you see... We've, we have set the, the device manufacturers have created a device where it's nearly, you need like three hands to turn it off. 
So, but it's the ultimate power move. You want to take control of your day? Turn it off. I don't care if you turn it back on five minutes later. Just show yourself that you can do it. Now, turn it off an hour before bedtime. Why an hour before? Why an hour before? Truthfully, I'll be honest with you, the research says it should be two hours before. Because if you look at a bright screen within two hours of bedtime, your brain does not produce as much melatonin overnight. This is the sleep hormone secreted by your pineal gland. Research in Australia found that if you, why? Well, because evolutionary biologists say, you know what, what happened when the sun went down three million years ago? You got to run to the cave, you know, build, you got to get stuff set for bed. Like you got to get a burst of energy. They say now, if you turn your phone off right before bed, which many people, including me sometimes are guilty of, then you actually get a jolt of energy. For anyone listening to this right now, if you ever lie in bed, you're like, why am I so awake? Why am I so wide awake right now? Well, did you just turn your phone off? If so, your brain thinks the sun just went down. It's time to build your cave. This is a problem. So turn it off at least one hour before bed. Off. I told you how to do it already. Now, what do you do in that hour? Get to know your family. Hey, son, how long have you been living above the kitchen? You know, get to know the people in your life, in your family, in your circumstances. Just just reconnect with your family. Well, what am I going to do with my family? Play a board game? I got a game for you. It's called Rose, Rose, Thorn, Bud. Whether you do it on the dinner table, whether you do it while you're brushing your teeth, whether you do it over pillow talk with your partners, what I do with sometimes with my wife, it's, hey, honey, what was your rose from the day? It always feels silly, strange, and awkward when you start. I've been playing this game for years. It still feels silly, strange, and awkward when you start. Oh, we're doing this again. My rose. Um, okay. Uh, they got a new flavor of Timbit, you know. Um, what about you, Neil? Uh, my rose. I don't know. My rose. Um, I met this amazing TikToker, emergency room doctor guy. He's, he's, well, you know, one of the very few interviewers that ha- has energy that makes me energetic. Like, he was just a great guy. <laughs> so I tell her. And then we do it again. Another rose. The game's called Rose, Rose, Thorn, Buds. So you do roses twice. Well, the second rose is inevitably easier. By the time you get to two, you kind of want to go three and four because your brain's now working. You're priming the neural pathways. for You're taking the machete and hacking through the bushes and brambles for positive thinking, right? Then a thorn. What's a thorn? A thorn. You got to make space to vent. Got to make space to vent. Oh my gosh, I had a headache all afternoon. Oh, the bus went by and I got slush all over my pants, whatever, right? So, uh, you know, my, I, I called, I, I, you know, I, I emailed the boss two days ago. It's been, t- they haven't emailed me back yet. Do you think they hate me? Do you think they want to fire me? Do you think, like, you know, everyone's brain does this kind of thing. So just, just say it out loud. The other person's goal here is just to listen. Oh, that sucks. Remember those three phrases. It's all you guys. Oh, that sucks. Don't try to, oh, well, you should email them. Don't try to solve their problem. We don't want any of that problem solving stuff. We just want you to listen. And then the finally, the last thing is a bud. B-U-D. Rose, rose, thorn, bud. What's a bud? B-U-D. A bud is something you're looking forward to. I can't wait to have pancakes on Saturday. Or I can't wait to, you know, I want to, I want to rent an, ice and sauna hut in Finland when I'm 90, like whatever, it's something <laughs> in the future. Okay. Rose, Rose, Thornbutt, I'll tell you this. It's always awkward to play at the beginning. At the end, everyone's in a good mood every single time you want to guarantee a finish. I'll tell you what it is. Everyone's in a good mood every single time you play this game. And then if you want to kind of wrap it up before you go to bed, I'll tell you what to do. Read a few pages of fiction from a real book. Mm. Why fiction? Well, because the annual review of psychology says only reading fiction opens up the mirror neurons in your brain responsible for empathy, compassion, understanding. My last job at Walmart was director of leadership development. You know what skills you can never grow at work? Mm. 
empathy, compassion, understanding. These You can't ship people off to empathy class. It doesn't exist. There, there is no empathy class. But when you read Their Eyes Are Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston, you are a slave in Alabama in the 1800s, and you're there. You're there. You're in that gender. You're in that heat. You are there. Because our brains have evolved to feel like we're there when we read. A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. And yes, I stole that quote from Game of Thrones. But even despite this, This is the greatest form of compressed wisdom we still have ever invented. That's why when you read the TED Talk transcript, it takes three minutes, but watching the movie takes 18. See what I'm saying? So I'm just saying it's still it's you can still read faster than you can consume anything. And fiction is a great place to go because you go into another world. You're another gender. You're another time of the world. You're another place in the world. You're another you're not just getting like tips, which is like, don't get me wrong, I'm guilty of reading nonfiction a lot, right? Like I'm a nonfiction junkie too. But Fiction, people. It's fiction. It's fiction that we need to get back into. And it's not just you. It's not just me. It's all of us. 57% of Americans read zero books last year. Oh, man. <laughs> That's, that, so that is an incredible. 34 minutes on our phones. That is an incredible stat, to be honest with you. Like, if you think about even 30, 20, 30 years ago, pre phone phone like the that number would have to be minimal and reflecting on that now but neil these are honestly these are this is gold like people need a little bit sometimes i think we need to be a little bit prescriptive in terms of guiding a a lot of folks so like great way to start the day great way to end the day is there any advice to to keep yourself on track during the day? Like yeah. in terms of well, being, the thing, the, so like people ask me, why'd you write this book? Right? Like why'd you write another book, book of, of awesome? awesome? I mean, I wrote the. Uh, it's called Our Book of Awesome. It's been a. It, it's as the time of recording, it's been a Global Mail bestseller all, all seven weeks since it's been out. It came out in December two thousand and two, and I don't know when you're going to air this, but we're recording this kind of like on the precipice of February two thousand twenty three. Well. Because I made this book as a tool to leave on the back of the toilet, to leave on your bedside table, to leave on the corner of your teacher's desk. So when you do feel uninspired, overwhelmed, anxious, negative, it's going to happen to all of us every day. You just grab the book, you flip it open, any page, and it says, the core of the cinnamon roll. Next page says, when the crosswalk changes to walk, just as you approach it. The next page says, go into the movies by yourself. The next page says, going through a revolving door without having to push. Well, why do I keep making these books? I'll tell you why, because I need the, I need the provocation myself. So the books of awesome are, and there's a new one. That's the new one, our book of awesome is a way to keep us on track. It's, it's just meant to be like, this book doesn't tell you how to do anything. I'm the one yelling at you today, but there's none of me yelling at you. The book is just a pile of awesome things as a reminder to reframe and retrain your brain. That's one tool to keep you on track. We could talk about more if you want. Man, you've been on a roll. More tools. I I want to hear some more wisdom here. Yeah. Well, Well, one big tool is no screens in the bedroom. And I've already talked about, I've already admonished people, including myself, if you ever bring a screen up, you know, your phone upstairs and people say, oh yeah, well, you don't know me. You know, I'm very, very important. I get a lot of calls at three in the morning. Really? Do you really get a lot of calls at three in the morning? Like you might, but not many people do. Right. <laughs> and so then people say, well, you know, my sister's really sick. Plus I have a boss that, you know, they're kind of on my case. And I say, oh, here's what you do. You get a landline. Don't, 
you call up your telecommunications provider and say you want a landline, they're like, hello, hello. Like, no, they don't expect anyone to ever ask for this product ever again. However, all our homes are outfitted for them. That's why they're only $10 a month. When I pay my $10, it's just a, I don't get call waiting. I don't get call display. I just get the landline number. You know who I give that landline number to? My sister is not well. The boss who might text me. The boss, the urgent people. I give that number to the five urgent calls and that prevents me from taking a screen into my bedroom. Because hmm. now I know that when it is a true emergency, I can be reached by those people. And yet when I open up the app, I won't get distracted and fall into an endless Twitter hole. You know, so that's, that's a really big kind of system for me right there. Here's another system. I'll give you lots of systems. Another system is install a bookshelf as close as possible to your front door. Billy bookshelf, 99 bucks. Okay. It's at Ikea. It's the cheapest, most effective bookshelf they ever made. Right. If you want to get fancy, go ahead and get fancy. But there you go. You put one at your front door. What happens when every single day you got to walk by your bookshelf on your way in, on your way out? You stop for a minute. You, you pick something up. You read a back of one. Oh, there's that old Garfield cartoon. I used to like, oh, I'll pick that up. There's no book shame. There's no book guilt. I don't believe in reading the classics. I don't even believe there are classics. I believe in reading what you love in order to love reading. Mm. I have a whole podcast about this. I call it three books. Every single chapter, which is every single new moon and full moon. I ask people like just interviewed Daniels who did that movie, everything everywhere all at once. I interviewed Quentin Tarantino, Brené Brown, Malcolm Gladwell, Roxanne Gay, Angie Thomas, David Sedaris. I ask him which three books most change your life. Okay. And why do I do it this way? Because I have found that the world, again, conspires not to give us good books. We end up picking up whatever's in a pile at the airport. Those books are all paying to be there, by the way. We end up doing whatever's on the Amazon recommendation engine. Those books are all paying to be there, by the way. Mm. So how are you going to – we got to go back to the tribe. We got to go back to each other. We got to go back to community. You know Dunbar's number? You trust 150 closest people to you? We got to go back. Ask people, what's one book you loved when you were a kid? Is it Charlotte's Web? Read Charlotte's Web. What's one book you read when you were a teenager? Is it Catcher in the Rye? Read Catcher in the Rye. Is it a graphic novel? Are you really into Dogman? Go ahead, get Dogman. Like, there's no book shame. There's no book guilt. I can't emphasize this enough. The entire education system, which was created, as you know, in the Industrial Revolution to create cogs for the economy, um, this system has essentially taught us how to read wrong. That's why, my friend, kids love reading until they go to school. Every single kid that's two, three, four, five, they're flipping around with books all over the place. They got flip books, card books. They love books. They love books. And you ask a grade nine kid, you like books? hate it because I had to read The Great Gatsby cover to cover (laughs) followed by Hamlet. Well, that's a great way to make someone hate reading is to force them. to. It's like saying, oh, yeah, you like food? Yeah, you like food? Here, let me just shove a bunch of dry oatmeal down your throat. You know, read what you love until you love to read. I I love it. I I love this hack. And you brought up a point that we try to address often on on our platform was community. I don't don't know. Especially we lacked it for too long. And now I feel, I don't know if you you find this too, but I I do feel people are, are... are still a bit injured. Like the, they're not, we're, people are getting together again, but it's not 
I'm not, I'm personally finding that it's not the same energy. It's not the same joie de vie that maybe pre-pandemic. But how do we, in your mind, create that community to to really foster wellness? Couldn't agree with you more. Trust in all levels of society is down. We have lower than ever levels of trust in business, in media, in government, and in our in each other. And so what's happening is uh, it's creating a destabilization of reality effect when you combine that with the increased use of AI and the deep fakes. It's starting to feel very hard to know what to trust. I've actually been uh, fascinated by a, a business that opened up in Toronto a year ago and um, – I want to tell people about it. It's really, you know, and again, I'm in Toronto, so I'm going to talk about a particular business, but it's really the spirit behind it. Okay. So this place is called Othership. It's in Toronto and um, you pay uh, like 50 bucks. Okay. So it's not, it's not cheap. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like a really super crazy expensive yoga class, let's call it. And you go in and what ends up happening is everybody changes into their bathing suit. It's a it's a it's a it's a gender gender neutral and co-ed change room, which again is that's the first time I've ever seen that. So there's little stalls where you can you know kind of change in and out of your bathing suit, but otherwise there's a community that already happens in you're not naked together, but you're you're changing together. Okay, then you go and you have a cup of tea by a fire. I'm not kidding. You have a cup of tea by a fire which we've been doing for millions of years, okay? People start to talk, guides come, and they start to ask you questions. I went last night to, um, you know, a, a couple's class there. They say, what's one thing you love about your about your about the person you're with? So you, they start to lead you into some thoughtful conversation. Keep in mind, can you bring, you can't bring your phone in. Then they take you to a sauna, okay? So now you've got, this sauna sits, seats 50 people in it. So they have a big sauna. You spend time in the sauna. Again, it's guided. There's music. There's a meditative purpose. And then you go to an ice bath, which was totally scary to me, but I did it. And because I'm doing it together with community, people are cheering you on and you feel totally, I don't know if you, I don't know if you're an ice bath person. Cold shower at the most. There you go. The cold shower is the same thing. And then you feel totally rejuvenated and you've got a physiological reset. And what's happening in this place? Of course, you can't take a phone into a sauna. You can't take a phone into an ice bath. So you have no phones. So now you've got eye contact. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now you've got people looking at each other and you've got guides who are navigating the space with you. It's no wonder that this place that just launched less than a year ago is like you can't get in now because it's we are so in need of this type of community and connection. Mm-hmm. And so could you find that a yoga studio? Could you find that in an independent bookstore? I personally think independent bookstores are like hidden gems in the world. Like this is annexing every single th- Every single person who's ever lived to today in the little room right here, you can hear all their voices. Like mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. And and it's right there. These independent, but they're right there, right in our streets. Like support your independent bookstore. Could you find that at a gym? Could you find that at a, at a park? Could you find that at, uh, you know, there's a park in downtown Toronto where I, I, you know, I went there like midnight on like a Monday and like they're playing like severe ultimate Frisbee, like hardcore, severe. like 
<laughs> I've like, never heard it like described a, as that. It's like midnight on a Monday, and it's like alternate. <laughs> but that—that's a tribe. That's there's a community of people that jump in the lakes together in the frozen lakes. There's a community of people that that goes bicycling together. If you go on a website like Meetup.com or even OkCupid, okay you know you can go on this on the kind of platonic side. If it's platonic you're looking for, you can find groups of people doing like-minded things. Get out of your house, put yourself in uncomfortable situations, and reconnect with the people around you. Amen. Because I, I, honestly, Neil, I feel like right now what we need is is healing and and anything that is pro like empowering people to get better i think is so important so i honestly i think the advice you're throwing down the books the podcast the the, the public speaking engagements you're, you're taking a significant dent into this and it's so appreciated i have i have a selfish question for you because this is, I don't know if this applies so much to my, our our readers or our listeners as much as it, as it is to myself, but I'm going to ask anyway. What, how did you, when did you make the pivot to stop chasing? How did that happen? You know, when you said, you said earlier in the interview that, you know, you stopped, you stopped, uh, you know, working at Walmart. You stopped almost, when you said stop chasing, I took it as like almost like external pressure or, or validation. It's like what you want to do, what makes you happy. How did you make that happen for yourself? Um, there's a few things. Some of the answers are, are, are healthy and polite and perfect. And some of them are just a little bit odd, but they're all true, at least to me. One is making money. Okay. So I will, I will just be open about that, that when I was working the eight years at Walmart and newly divorced, i.e. no partner, no children, no minivan, you know, um, I had eight years where I was working at Walmart and writing books and starting to give speeches. So I was able to feel financially comfortable to make this leap or to, to stop chasing things that the, um, the financial comfort is something it is real and there has been a study by daniel kahneman at princeton university that showed that you know we do need at the time they did the study which was i think 2007 it was at the time seventy thousand dollars okay so you want to put that in today's money you might say it's a hundred thousand dollars but they said they said that there is a certain amount of money that people get incrementally happy and more comfortable with because they're starting to meet their hygiene needs. And then above that, this was the big insight from the study. There's no, there's no benefit. There's no benefit. And everybody's number is going to be a little bit different. It's based on how you grew up. It's based on your culture. It's based on your fears. It's based on your traumas. My number was probably way higher than it needed to be. That's why I was trying to work in two jobs for eight years. Like I'm literally coming home every night and then starting another eight hour job, like blogging, writing books, answering emails, doing media interviews. You see what I'm saying? So, so there is an aspect to that. And I don't want to shy over it as I have done in the past. I want to just call that out there and say for everybody, that number is different, but you need to have something. I'm not going to be one of those people that says, just burn the boats, move to, move to Columbia. You'll figure it out. I understand the anxiety that comes in with financial security because i have lived with that my whole life my dad's an indian immigrant he came here with eight bucks like of course i got some of that trauma right of course i got some of that worrying to make sure i'm okay that's one. Second thing is there's a model that's backwards in society that model is so 
glaringly obvious after you hear it, but we grow up think, thinking and being taught that great work leads to big success, leads to being happy, right? You study really hard, then you get good grades, then you become a doctor. Or you work hard, then you get promoted, then you're happy. And it's not just par- parents saying this to our kids. We say it to our own kids, don't we? Come on, we want you to get into a good school. Come on, we want you to get a good job. People talk like this all the time. They have throughout history. Unfortunately, it's backwards. It's backwards, man. It's we're totally wrong. This, this model is backwards. It's not great work, big success, be happy. It's the opposite. You got to train your brain to be happy first. Thinking of happiness like a practice, like a habit, like something you can invest in. Everyone's got a plastic card in their pocket telling them they got a gym membership. Who's got the same for their mental health? The place I just told you about Othership in Toronto, that's a mental health place, mm. Right. It's bringing mental health to the forefront. You invest in your mental health first, then guess what happens? Then you do great work. Sonia Lebomirsky at Stanford, sorry, at University of California, Davis, together with uh, King and Diener, did a study that shows if you show up to work happy, everything's better. We like working with happy bosses. We like happy peers. You're 31% more productive. You have 37% higher sales. You have 300% more creative. And it goes on and on and on. The appendix on this study is like, here's all the things that went up when you were happier. And it's a lot. Then what happens? The big success. It actually comes at the end. It actually comes at the end. Happy people live 10 years longer. University of Kentucky did a research study on nuns. If you're happier in the common, the 1930s and 40s, you live 10 years longer. Happy people live longer. You live longer. We go back to our very beginning conversation. Why should you invest in half? Why should you do the stuff? That, why should you get your screens out of your bedroom? Why should you start your day with two minute mornings? Why should you put your bookshelf at the front door? Why should you spend your time outside? What? Because it's going to give you 10 extra years of this. Mm. It's worth it. You only got 30,000 days. If I told you you could press a button and get 3,000 bonus days, would you press it? Here's the button. It's called invest in your happiness. How do you do it? I just gave you a bunch. I can give you a bunch more. There's lots of stuff about it. I wrote a whole book about it, The Happiness Equation. And that's just one book. There's lots of books. I can recommend many books about it. You can read The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. You can read The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor. You can read, you know, there's there's wonderful, there's lots of books out there. There's watching your content, right? There's lots of people out there trying to shade these things. The hard part is doing them. Mm. It's not knowing what to do. It's doing them. Yeah. And the secret therein is to just start. That's it. That's the secret. If you just start. See, we got another model backwards. We think motivation leads to action. You want to run a marathon, you need good shoes. You want to write a book, you need a moleskin notebook. That ain't true. Motivation doesn't lead to action. Action leads to motivation. You run to the stop sign in your dress shoes, tomorrow you run a little further. You write tonight on a pen and a a sticky note. Next day you write two sentences. Action leads to motivation. It's the other way around. Now, the hard part then, there's an old Einstein quote. I won't butcher it or paraphrase it, but it's like the hard part of everything is just getting started. Mm. That's it. Start. That's it. You'll suck. You'll fail. You'll fall off. But if you can just start, you can keep on these paths I'm talking about. Oh, man, Neil, it's straight up gold, man. Like It it really is straight up gold because this is what people get hung up on. They get caught up on how do I achieve these 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 goals and they they get stuck in their minds and not enough of us are telling are are, are preaching action just do it be in love with the process the fact that you got up and went to the gym even if it was three and a half minutes yeah that's a w the fact that you wrote in that blog a couple 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 sentences and they were shitty 
Don't matter. You fucking stepped up. That's a W. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what it's got to be all about. We got to be in love with the process. And this is where, what's going to help achieve happiness and wins. My friend, is there anything? I'm just not like we covered a lot. Is there anything, especially for our healthcare providers, you think that we left out in terms of leading a more purposeful, intentional, joyous life? Well, I mean, to healthcare providers specifically, like, just thank you. It's been unbelievable once in a century, you know, a few years, and there's just no way there's any possible words to describe the level of tribal community-based gratitude we feel for those of you on the front lines waging these battles for us as our species has had to grapple with an entire new you know, a form of danger that we had never experienced before and had wrestled with it and has had, you know, seven different levels of incoherent governments saying different things at different times. Remember the World Health Organization? <laughs> hey, ain't no thing. No big deal, guys. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Like, you remember that? Like, oh, we, we, you've had to navigate that in the front lines. And the thing is that I love is that the front lines, when I'm in the front lines of health healthcare as a patient or when I'm on the front, we're just people. We're all people. We've all got hearts. We see each other with our eyes. We hold each other as best we can. If you're there and you're on the front lines of healthcare, thank you. Hanging in there, thank you. If you're thinking about going into this profession, you're wondering about it, well, don't worry. The salaries are all about to go up. Because <laughs> we need these people more than they want to do it. That's called supply and demand. You know, I just spoke Amen. to 5,000 healthcare workers down in Louisiana burnt out, overwhelmed, stressed, you know, large, large hospital system down there. Well, they can't find people. And then, so then they hire temps and then the, the temps, you know, aren't as good and they're more expensive. And then they get clunky, you know, and then there's clunky processes and all. Well, there's only one solution. The market's going to solve it. And it's like pay them more. It's Preach. just pay them more. And, 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 and that's, of course you should pay them more and you should also pay teachers more. Right. Like like we our society has over prioritized people that can wield technical financial instruments and made those people billionaires. Whereas the people that are educating our children and taking care of our infirm are not compensated accordingly. So when my dad became a teacher in India back in the 19 he was born in 1944. So it's like 50s and 60s. He's decided to become a teacher. I said to him growing up. I'll leave you with this. I said to him growing up, 10 year old, it's like, dad, how come all our Indian friends in Oshawa <laughs> in the eighties, how come they're all doctors? Like they're all doctors, but you're a teacher. And you know what he said? Mm. Cause they got paid the same in India. Mm. He's like, when I had to pick, it was like those jobs were kind of, they got paid the same. And like, you know, it's not just Neil going on a rant about just kind of – you can't just fix everything by yelling about it on a podcast. But there's – we need to be healthy. We we, we deserve that. We, we, mm. we owe that to ourselves. And we have the medicine and the systems and the tools. We know that. So right now we're experiencing at a high level from a distance. I'm not in the system. So like if I say the wrong thing, like please don't – please don't hold me to it. But – from a distance, this is this is a big transition point where we're recognizing and realizing just how crucial and important these roles are and our pipelines and our education pipelines and our compensation. But they got to they got to catch up. They got to catch up. This is it. This is it. Neil, thank you. 
thank you for agreeing to do this. This was honestly, this was a lot of fun. And I, I know somehow, whether it's in T dot O town, somewhere down the line, we, we got to connect. We got to absolutely uh, brothers unite. But uh, no, no, really appreciate you jumping on the the show, my friend. It's a pleasure. Thanks for what you're doing. It's it's a gift to. Uh, I'm I'm in awe of what you're doing and that you're doing that while you're doing. You know, you're you're. I know what it feels like to be doing two things at once. So so thank you for putting out such great great uh, content and vibes and energy for the world. It's much 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 appreciated. Oh, feeling is mutual, my friend. All right, Quarkast, that was freaking awesome. So awesome. Feeling inspired, folks. I hope you are too. If you enjoyed that, please leave us any comments at quadcast99 at gmail.com. Leave a five-star rating. After that show, leave a six-star rating. Damn it. That was so dynamic and juicy. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, at Quadcast. Jump on our newsletter. Jump on our community at quadcast.substack.com. All things healthcare solutions all on one site. Y'all gonna love it. All right, people. I hope you're feeling a little bit more jumping your step after that episode. Thanks for listening. Talk real soon. Peace.